Welcome back to episode number 74 of the MP Dude. 74. Well, I had to think about that for a second. Um, this is Jeff, the MP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, guys. I got a lot of comments, questions, shares. I got tons of likes over the weekend. It was Father's Day weekend. Uh, I took kind of the weekend off just doing stuff around the house. Got tons of mulch done. Just trying to get stuff done. Got a lot of stuff work in the greenhouse. Got some of my plants cleaned up and put outside. Just a lot of stuff going on. So I appreciate you guys doing uh, what you do, sharing the show and, and liking the show. I'm up to 894. I just checked a minute ago. So 894. We're so close. We're almost at that thousand mark. So I want to I want to thank you guys for helping me get there. There's like a lull for a couple weeks, and then bam, it just like it was like 15 over the weekend. It was like nothing, you know, like. Didn't do anything, hardly. Just a couple comments on Facebook, and bam, it was done. So keep sharing the show. I really appreciate it. The other thing is, um, over the weekend, I um, I had the chance just to kind of reboot a little bit. I kind of just put the computer away. I didn't really do much with it. I just kind of let it kind of lag, lag a little bit. And, uh, you know, it just kind of reminded me, sometimes we got to just step away from the technology. And I know even though I was on Facebook a little bit here and there, I left my phone, you know, up in the house charging and I was outside working and I wasn't on call. So I didn't have to worry about having my phone with me all day. And um, so it was kind of nice. It was kind of nice to just step away every now and then and, and uh, forget about it. It doesn't take long for you to forget that you've got a phone. It was like, a, you know, the day, and I was like, oh, yeah, I, gotta, I should probably check that and see if anybody's calling me. <laughs> so make sure nobody's bugging me if, if need to be bugged. All right, so that's that. And then the other thing that was, um, you're, you're going to hear a little different is I got a lot of road, road noise because I'm driving my truck, my piece of crap old Ford truck that's that's broken, and, and it's less broken than my other vehicle, so I get to drive this. So the road noise is probably loud. I apologize. It's probably not going to be the best quality sound compared to my, my newer Nissan that's supposed to be a good vehicle that's in the shop again, second time in like three days. So um, I apologize for the road noise, and, and it's a standard, so it might sound hokey too because i got to shift and things, and and I'm, you know, drinking coffee, shifting, and driving on back roads while talking on a recorder. So we're juggling multiple things. So what do we want to talk about today? I got a couple of them. Uh, Paul from uh, out west sent a, a couple of the the comments last week, and and I want to hit the other at least two of the other ones that he sent that I thought were really good. That um, were just like, wow, those are just great topics to discuss about possible. You know, just opening the eyes of opportunity for people that are out there that are doing things the old school way, and maybe there's another alternative that might work better for you. And what was he talking about? He asked me a question. He said, what are your thoughts about the DPC, the direct primary care model? And and I'm like, well, that sounds like concierge. You know, and then here I am, ignorant to, you know, the, the DPC model relative to concierge. I just assumed it was concierge. And he said, it's not concierge, it's different. <laughs> it was like the next sentence in his thing. And how um, people often confuse the two. And what what is the implication for nurse practitioners of using a DPC model or concierge? I'm going to add that in, in, in the future. And so what what is this DPC, direct primary care model of care? And it basically is, if, if you know what concierge medicine is, concierge medicine is a type of direct primary care, if it's in primary care. So there's, there's different types of concierge medicines, right? you know, depending on specialty and things like that. But direct primary care is, it's just that. It's instead of paying insurance, it's basically cash-only business where you, you get the same services that you would go into your primary care nurse practitioner, 
uh, through insurance, but you're going to pay a flat monthly fee. And it could be anywhere from like 50 to 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month. It just depends on, you know, your market. It depends on the quality of the care that you give. And it depends on what services you provide to, to be able to command that. So it's open market. So you can call, you can ask whatever you want as long as you're not in, in uh, the insurance plans because we've already talked about that before too under the insurances. So with, with the direct primary care model, the idea is that you're going to get a flat rate, monthly fee, you provide services, you can decrease the number of patients that you see and give higher quality care because you're not paying all the overhead and expenses associated with you know, filing for insurance claims, refiling for insurance claims, all the billing code nightmare crap. You can just, you know, whatever it is that meets the standard of care for documentation, and that's it. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to, you know, use CPT codes. You don't have to use billing codes. You don't have to use any of that stuff. Somebody comes in for a cough, cold, or whatever, you document in your, your soap note what you see, and you say, here's your, here's your medicine, see you later, and you document it. There's no other need to do any of the ICD-10 codes and, and writing down on the scripts all these different things that have to be you know, d documented for, well, some of you may have to, like uh, in Ohio, Schedule 2s, if you're going to do those, then you still have to put the ICD-10 code. So you still kind of need to know some of them. But you could cut down a lot of the administrative crap in your practice if you went to one of these models. Now, the difference between concierge, concierge was back in the 90s. It was like a, this, this new wave idea of, of providing care because people were getting tired of fee-for-service. So instead of fee-for-service, if you used your, your practitioner a lot or your physician back then a lot, then the, the problem was is that you, you ended up paying a lot of co-pays. You had a lot of you know, personal interaction that was needed, but you weren't able to get the time it required with your practitioner to really manage your care. So if you're a diabetic with hypertension, you're doing three minute, three month uh, follow-ups, and maybe you're a brittle diabetic, and you're, you know, maybe you've got AFib and you got COVID, and so you've got all these problems that need management, and you're you're seeing your physician or nurse practitioner for 15 minutes at best every three months. That might not be enough time to manage all of you, and so. What, what this model did was it opened it up to say, you know what, screw the system, I'm going to do it the way I want, I'll charge these people a higher amount because they're, maybe they are able to afford it and they want that extra attention and then go to that 60 minute visit and you can manage all of their issues in one visit every three months and then in between when they get sick or something gets out of you know, cattywampus on, on how they feel, they call you up and say, hey, I need, I need some attention. Now the difference between concierge and, and a, the DPC in general, is this, and then I'm, and I said it earlier that, that my view of it is that that concierge is a type of direct primary care because direct primary care is generic. It's just you pay me a flat fee and you come in and see me. Now concierge is almost one step beyond that. You give out your cell phone, your email. You have direct access to your provider as a as a client, and and it's really more of a client relationship than it would be. Um, than a, a practitioner, you know, patient type relationship. In other words, you you have a um, you're closer. <laughs> you're you're close, not closer than arm's length in a legal standard, but close, cl almost closer than arm's length. So, in other words, they can call you anytime, night or day. They got your cell phone, and that's part of the service. 
And so I think that as that spawned out of that is all the people that tried to do concierge medicine and MD, MDVIP is one of them that does that, um, is a big one that's national. And, and, it, and it works to some extent. I think for a certain clientele, it's a great practice. The problem is, is that you burn out because you're on 24-7. And you're, you're a marketing, you've got to be more marketing. You know, you're doing healthcare, but you've got to be on the ball with client, you know, keeping people happy and making sure that everybody's getting seen. And, you know, that you've got two competing people that both pay a lot of money and they, they, you know, they're both sick at the same time and they want you to come to their office to see them at, you know, their, their high-rise bank or law firm or something. And, you, you know, you're, they're paying top dollar. They expect you to, you know, come when they, they need you. And so sometimes you get spread too thin. So I think what spawned out of that it was in the early 2000s, this DPC model that was more toned back towards the traditional office-based system where, yeah, you can get same-day appointments, you can get, uh, get in touch with me, but I might not be able to run to you every time you call. And so I think that that's, that's been um, a spinoff from, from the... Uh, the original concierge medicine philosophy, and it's a great philosophy. I think that both of them could work very well for you. Now, the bigger question is, does that work with nurse practitioners? And I think it could. I think I think having a DPC model for a nurse practitioner practice, there's people already doing that. There's people doing cash-only businesses out there now, and that's really essentially one step further from cash fee-for-service to monthly subscription. And so, you know, if you've got somebody that that um, that that uh, could benefit from your care, I wouldn't hesitate if I was a cash-only business to say, you know what, well, I, let's do a subscription-based business with a handful of people and see if it makes any sense. Because you might be surprised. You might realize that, man, I, I get people that use use their practitioner twice a year, three times a year for 15, 20 minutes just for a cough, cold, or a tickle in their throat, and they like to get their labs, lab work cheap, and it's an alternative to going outside of the insurance-based systems. Now, do I think that this is a good model? Yeah, I do, I, because it's more, it, puts, it puts more control in the hands of the people that are actually doing the care, and I think that's a great thing. The bad thing is, is I think we're going to be single-payer in a couple years, and this is all going to get shut down. I think that there's going to be government regulation of it some way somehow some way it's going to happen and they're going to shut it down especially once the government takes complete control of healthcare and that's probably in five or ten years but it's going to happen single payer is on its way and i'm not a fan don't give me don't don't misinterpret and you know, that's happened in the past people think because i believe that single payer is coming that i'm a proponent for it i am not i'm the exact opposite i think the government should stay away from us and leave us alone let us do what we do and then they can stay out of it because they're going to screw it up. They're going to screw it up. They just will. It's going to be too expensive. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. So um, what are the implications right now? So like if I were to start a DPC model now, do you think I can make it work? I, I can't make that work where I am. I just can't. My client base isn't going to pay for it. I just don't have it. Now, if I went to Cleveland or maybe Columbus, Columbus would be a great market for it. Um, certain parts of Columbus are extremely wealthy and want want service. Now the problem is is that with a DPC model, I think the middle average Americans that, that have extra income that um, that have chronic diseases, I think it might work great for them, which is you know we, we have more than enough chronic diseases in our country. I think that if you're upper middle class or um, uh, lower upper class, I mean, if you use a class structure, I hate using that, but if you just from an economic standpoint, 
you know, if you've got people that are making 150 grand a year combined household income, they, they might be the perfect target for this. But where I work, you ain't getting it. So it really depends. It really depends on the market. And I, and I also think that, you know, it's similar to the concierge that I just mentioned, you've you got to be a marketer. You've got to be, you be in service industry oriented. You've got to be every satisfy the, the client. Satisfy the client. Satisfy the client. It's got to be number one. Good care has got to be number two. Um, but satisfy the client has got to be number one because if you don't satisfy the client, you know, hopefully you're doing it with good care. This should go without saying. But the problem is, is that... Um, you know, if you got the wrong personality and you're in the old model and you're a nurse that worked on the floor and you were told what to do for 15 years and you got tired of being told what to do and now you're going to work in primary care and you like the idea that I'm 8 to 5 and I'm not on call and I, you know, I see 15 to 18, 20 patients a day and I do what I do and I get out, then I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the right mindset for a DPC model. I really, ooh, road's really bad here. Washed out. Yeesh. Um... I'm not sure that that's the right mindset that would fit that model, but I think there's a ton of people, 230,000 NPs in uh, or advanced practice nurses in the United States. There's got to be more than a handful of them that could crush that model, and there's no reason that I could I could see that you wouldn't be able to do it and do it effectively. Now, the only caveat in Ohio, and I know I'm t criticized all the time for Ohio, but this is what I know, and if 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 Ohio is like half the states, then this is probably like half of the other states. There are limitations on telehealth as a nurse practitioner in some states because I physically have to see and assess the patient. So if I have a concierge type um, setup and I have a client that calls me and says, hey, I got a scratchy throat, it's been scratchy for a week, it's, you know, really hurts, I got a temp, and you, they describe enough for me that, you know, even if I looked at him and said it's questionable, I would have given him an antibiotic for a sore throat. I can't do it until I see that person. So where a physician could say, you know what, yeah, Bob's sick, he's got a sore throat, I know his history, he doesn't lie, he's you know, he's an upstanding guy, I'll call in, a, you know, augmenting for this guy and have it delivered to his office or whatever, you know. So, I mean, it, you can't necessarily do that as a nurse practitioner. So there may be some state limitations on what you can do, but you could still work within the practice guidelines of that model. Now... DPC, I did find on, I believe it was the AMA's website, they had a whole um, write-up on the DPC model. As, as with any type of um, organization, they'll have listed out models of practice that you can adopt and how to get into that. And so there's probably some good, more geared towards physicians, but good continuing educations on the DPC model. I'm sure they're out there. I, I didn't look because I'm not going to probably get into the DPC model here and now. And to be honest with you, I think that it's going to be short-lived. If you go this model, I honestly think that within, you know, a decade, it's going to be either so overly regulated that you're not going to be able to make any money with it by design, or it's going to be um, basically taxed to death. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to pay too much. There'll be penalties in some form or fashion. And I don't mean penalties by legal sense, but, you know, you're going to feel the pain. And it's going to hurt to be in that model down the line. That's just me predicting, just because it's single payers coming. Great question. Excellent question. That, that, was, that was really interesting. It was, it was new and fresh and something that was like, ooh, this is something totally different than anything we've talked about. And uh, so, Paul, I really appreciate your comments. Keep the ideas coming to me. I really, really do like, like what you have to say. So keep sending me stuff. Now, another one that Paul sent me um, 
and, and I usually try not to do back to back with the same person. I try to spread things out a little bit so that way I can share and, and get to different topics from different people. But this other one that he said was kind of dovetails right into that that other model, that direct access care type model, and it was a it was a Forbes I think I think it was a Forbes article that said that finally nurse practitioner. Um, it was a shock headline, right? So once you read the article, it wasn't really what the shock headline was, but it said something along this effect. Nurse practitioners finally um, outnumbered, or the demand for nurse practitioners finally out uh, outpaced that for family practice physicians. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool, right? So people are actually looking more for nurse practitioners than physicians. That's how I took it when I read the headline. That's how I wanted to take it, right? But when I read the article, it basically said, you know, based on Google searches and um, information that's out there in the internet, that there's more people searching for nurse practitioner than physicians. So I'm not sure that that's very reliable as, as a, you know, what, whether or not there's people are looking for a nurse practitioner to go to than they are to go to a family practice physician. I'm not sure I, I think that's where that comes from. But that being said, it was still pretty interesting read in that um, it does indicate that people are becoming more uh, aware of what we do, more aware of how effective we are for giving good care, and also the, the idea that we're, we're, we're just gaining more traction in, in mainstream. We're becoming commonplace. And that's a good thing. Because the more commonplace we are, the more accepted and the more viable we are as an option, then, then uh, the less we have to fight and spend energy fighting for credibility, and we can just practice. I mean, imagine if we were able to just practice without having to worry about what everybody in town thought about, oh, that nurse practitioner did, you know, didn't do this or did do that, and, and whether it's warranted or not, they're going to say those things you know, within their own community that the physicians are. And I still, to this day, get people that will put, um, you know, physical therapists, and I'll see um, radiology, you know, technicians and, and nurses, and and they, they just don't understand who we are and what we do. They just don't get it. They they don't understand. Oh well, who's your doctor that you work with? I need to talk to him. No, that doesn't work that way. You talk to me. <laughs> my doc, my doc's busy. He's doing his own patients. This is my patient. What's up? <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's it's hard to sometimes. You know, beat it into the other professionals' brains, and those seem to be the ones that lag more than the, the the patients. The patients are okay with it. It's the other practitioners and the other the other healthcare uh, professionals, I think, that are lagging behind. But it was an interesting read, and and it kind of goes right along with the DPC model. In, in that, you know, I could see where Paul's thinking. He's, he's thinking, okay, there's there's now sufficient need, and people are looking for us, and uh, maybe I can get into this this world of of. Uh, direct patient care or direct primary care and um paul i'd love to hear if that's where you're going are you are you thinking about starting your own practice are you thinking about you know going down that road and if so i'd love to you know hear what you see as you get done with school and and what your road you know how you travel it and and uh i i'm always looking for stories i'm always looking for information from people so keep me posted what you're thinking and what your thoughts are and new ideas it was a great idea it was a great read this is on forbes you can probably Google it. Pretty sure it was Forbes. Sorry. Standard. Shifting. Downshifting. No brakes. Yeah, my truck doesn't have brakes, just so you know. So I have to downshift to stop. 
this is this is what my truck was originally getting fixed for, and then my uh, my Nissan that I drive da- daily, my newer car that I normally drive, decided to fall apart on me at the same time. So, yay, yay me, going 70 miles an hour on a back road, <laughs> just talking on a thing and driving standard. Here, let me take a drink of coffee while we're doing it. Just joking. All right. So last thing of the day, this is it for the day. I had a Facebook question that came up that, that wasn't directed to me, but I, I saw it and I wanted to comment on it. And I, I told everybody that was on that thread that I was going to post to it and uh, just sent them to my page, my webpage in general and said, here, take a listen. So there's a lot of stuff on here about this, but it wasn't specifically this issue. This was a, um, it wasn't even a contracts issue. It's an employment law issue. And the question is this, you work for a, a practice doesn't matter what it is and the practice is getting bought out the current practice that you have a contract with so your contract employee states that you have so much vacation and it's accrued a certain way and um, so much CME time and whatever your your benefits for your time off are but it's basically your time off sick time vacation time CME time all that stuff and your new company has a different policy for how they do all of those things. And the question then becomes this. If you are... Oh, and, and, and the new company that's buying the practice says, yeah, we're going to renegotiate your, your contract term of how many hours go into what's now going to be a PTO time, paid time off, and it's all lumped together. So all your CME and vacation and sick time just gets lumped together and you get, instead of you know, two weeks and then one week and one week or three days or whatever and a total of 18 days, they're going to say, you know, you get 15 days. They're just rolling it all together and they're renegotiating and it's probably not for your better. <laughs> I didn't get the numbers in there. I didn't see them, but whatever it is. So the question then becomes, can they do that? Can company two change your number of hours in your contract? And the short answer is yes, <laughs> most likely. And it depends, right? That's the easy answer is my favorite, right? It depends. Well, it depends on what your contract says. Because what happens is, in general, when a company buys another company and they have outstanding contracts that have not been fulfilled, which is what yours is, they, they basically are assigning that contract to the new employer. Okay? The problem then becomes, if you have so much wiggle room, which most of them do, for the employer to terminate your contract at will, essentially, then you you pretty much have no contract. But the contract spells out some of the terms to keep people honest. So could you could you sue somebody for not giving you the right amount of vacation time? Yes, but they could terminate the contract most likely without any problems and say, we don't agree with this contract, we're terminating it for these reasons, we give you the sufficient notice that's in the contract and buy it's done. Now if you want to work there, you're going to sign a new contract. So can they do it? They can't do it <laughs> directly, but they could do it indirectly. They could just cancel your contract and they can make it whatever they want. So if you don't play ball with them and play political, they just they're going to fire you. Or they could fire you, right? They could just terminate you. We don't like you. I don't like the shape of your hairstyle. You're fired. Can they do that with you if you have a contract for employment? Yes, they can, usually. But it depends on the words in the contract. So you really need to look at the termination section in your contract and see what can they terminate the agreement for. If they can terminate the agreement pretty much at any time at anything that they want, 
uh, if they don't like your attitude, you don't mesh well with the company. We can terminate for any reason at any time. It's usually in there. So it's it's, it's, it's it, you're, you're kind of screwed, right? Now, this individual did call the state and said, well, I talked to the state, and the state said that, um, nope, they have to transfer it one-to-one from one form of time off to the paid time off. So if you had 18 hours total before, you should have 18 hours after, or 18 days, not hours, 18 days after when you go to your new new employer. However, that being said, it really depends on the state's viewpoint on what you're, whether you're an exempt or non-exempt status. Now, I've talked a lot about these two, exempt and non-exempt. The big difference here, the big problem here is if you're an exempt employee, then it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. So I think that that advice that that person from the state that they gave you was assuming that you were an RN type nurse and you were a non-exempt employee. My bet, and this is just a guess, is that if you are a an exempt employee in your state, I don't even know what state it was, you're gonna be screwed because the wage and hour statutes do not apply to you. And if that's the case, then it's all up, up in the air to be renegotiated. So I think that the employer has the ability to do that. Now, again, it's a political question more than it is a law question. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay working there? And is it really worth fighting over a couple days? Usually, if you go in and say, look, this was the deal that I had before, and I I would hope that you would respect at least the deal that I had before, and if you don't respect that deal, then at least I want some more compensation. So maybe they'll kick up your salary a little bit and cover for the cost of the time off. Or maybe they'll give you some flexibility with time off without pay um, a little bit more and you can increase your salary a little bit. So you might be made whole in the end, but they might have political reasons that they can't do it. Maybe they already have nurse practitioners and they don't want to show favoritism. And so they're going to try to bring you into the envelope and fold you into maybe they've got 10 NPs and you're only one. Maybe, maybe it's easier to fold you into them than them into you, into your type of contract or or deal, so to speak. So you you can't just categorically say the state says it's okay. Everybody go do that. And that was kind of what she was saying. Oh, just, it's okay. Just go talk to your, your state, you know, wage an hour, uh, department of labor or whatever it is. And, and it'll be okay because I don't think that's the case. I think that they screwed up. Honestly, I think they gave you bad advice. Now that gives you some, some, something to go back to your employer and say, look, they said it, you know, I got this email that said that you can't do that. It's got to be this. And then hopefully your employer is just going to say, oh, okay, we'll just, we'll let it go. But the fact that you went to the state and asked them about, asked them a question is going to probably put a little bit of a bad taste in your new employer's mouth that you're kind of going around their back. You don't trust them. And there's no, you know, it's, it's just not a warm, fuzzy situation now. So it was a great, great hypothetical, you know, practicality. It was a real life situation, but in my my view, it's a hypothetical because it layers employment law and political and all that stuff all lay on top of, it. and that makes it fun. So I appreciate it, guys. Keep the keep the stuff flowing to me. I'm, I'm having a blast. I really am. I would love to have nothing but you know another five more hours a week just to do podcasts and upload. I would love it. I would love to have five more hours a week. I just don't. It's really tight right now. Maybe in the wintertime I'll have more time, but I just don't know. So busy. So busy with stuff. But we're all busy. We're all having fun, though. So have a great week, guys. Today's Monday. It's kind of overcast. It rained really hard last night. Some trees down on the way. Some roads washed out out here in the middle of nowhere. 
Hopefully I can get to work. It'll be alright. Hopefully my truck won't break. My second truck. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I have a 2013 Nissan, right? 70,000 miles. Bearing went bad. They replaced it. I mean, it's a bearing. It shouldn't cost that much. I paid 300 bucks for a bearing. It's ridiculous. There's no time. I could have done it myself. It was like $50 part. I should have just done it myself. Sucked it up and did it. Spent a half, a half a day did it myself. But then they fixed that, and in the process, they messed up the CV joint. Which was, was going bad, I think, to begin with. But I would have paid to fix it, too. But they didn't. So I have it sitting in a second garage. I'm just going to sit in another... My vehicle is gone. Out of commission. Again. Yeesh, whatever. Cars suck, right? They're all bad. They'll break. When you drive an hour and 15 minutes to work, <laughs> they're going to fall apart, I guess. I should complain. You can stop complaining. <laughs> need to buy an airplane. Anybody got an airplane used I could buy? I don't know how to fly. I'd probably kill myself. It's probably a good idea. I'll just drive my broken truck. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the show. Keep going with the likes on Facebook. We're at, you know, 890, so we're so close. We got a couple weeks. We might do it. I don't know. Tell your friends. Tell your schoolmates. Say, hey, it's summertime. If you're slowing down on school for summer, catch up on something fun to listen to. Uh, maybe, maybe learn something along the way, too. I don't know. Maybe it's fun. I don't know. I'm getting good responses. You guys are telling me it's good, so keep keep telling me what you want. I'm going to hear some, you sucked, though. I haven't heard that in a while. Nobody's told me I suck in a while. Someone tell me I suck. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon.